Church, this morning is the first Sunday of our Advent season and the first Sunday that we'll be starting a series in the Gospel of Luke that will last, well, for about about 18 months, and it's going to go in four movements, and we start this morning in what an apropos place to start here in Advent season in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be calling this series, Jesus is the One. Amen? Jesus is the one for so many things, and for a year and a half, we're going to remind ourselves every Sunday morning that Jesus is the one for everyone, and Jesus is the one for everything. And this morning, we're going to look at this idea that Jesus is the one we have been hoping for. Jesus is the one we have been hoping for. There are so many unique things that all of us have been hoping for. If you look around this room, there's so many different people, different life stages, different circumstances and scenarios. We're all hoping for so many different unique things. But the Christmas story, this opening scene in the Christmas story, reminds us there are at least three things that all of us are hoping for, that all of us are hoping for in our story We're hoping for our story. We have hopes for our story as people who are created in God's image and likeness that are part of his, but there's a unique story for each of us, and we have hopes for our story, for our lives. We have our hope in God's story and what God is doing through redemptive history, and we have our hope in our part in that. What is our part, our role in God's greater story? It's been said, I don't know who said it first, that hope is only as good as the object it's placed in. And Luke begins this story, begins this Christmas story, begins this narrative this morning in this place of of a story, not in the sense of fiction. This is not a fictitious story. This is not a Christmas story in the typical terms. It's a Christmas story in terms of an account. It's a historical account. It's an actual history It's grounded in his story, and Luke reminds us of that in the opening verses where he says, and as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely from some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke tells us that our our hope is not grounded in human creativity, in some kind of human story that a human author has made up and it has some great points and principles and it's, it's an endearing, warm kind of heartfelt story. That's not what's happening. Luke tells us that what's not happening is that we can place our hope in some sort of human philosophy. There's a story that actually has principles that's attached to some kind of human philosophy, and it's a story that's just meant to to communicate more ethereal kinds of principles and philosophies that we live our lives by. Luke is saying that's not what's happening. He's saying the Christmas story is grounded in history. It's grounded in human history. It's grounded in the historical reality that God came into human history in the person of Jesus Christ, amen? And he came into human history in the person of Jesus Christ to continue to write his story. And that we can all find our deepest hopes and fulfillment in and through him. And the Apostle Paul would later say it this way. I think this is such a wonderful verse in Romans 15, 3. May the God of hope, he is the God of hope, Jesus is the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Key there. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to overflow with hope this season? You want to overflow with hope this season? Yeah, you can, in and through the Spirit of God that he's placed in you. And keeping your story connected to his. 
So there's a lot of hope to go around for the people of God. In the opening scene from the Gospel of Luke, it starts with our hope for our story. It starts with our hope for our story. We can learn something about the hope for our story through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it begins to unfold in verses 5 to 7 where it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiha. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were born both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is a story of two godly people that have come from generations of godly families who certainly desired and were probably expecting God's blessing. Godly people coming from generations of godly families, likely expecting God's blessing in their life. And in their day and culture, God's blessing was directly tied to children. Children are a blessing from the Lord, the Bible says. And in that culture, they saw it as if you had, you know, the more children you had, the more blessing from God that you had. And if you had no children, it was because something was wrong with you. Something was wrong with your relationship with God. This couldn't be farther from the truth, but it was the truth that they believed. And being advanced in years and without children to carry on their family name and their legacy was never part of the story that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have written for themselves. If they're writing a story for themselves as godly people from generations of godly families, that is not part of the story they would ever have written for themselves to be advanced in years with no children. But that's the way it was, and it had been that way for a long time. Maybe you can relate to this a little bit. Maybe you are trying, by God's grace, to live your life as a godly person. And you come from generations of godly families. And you have this sort of desire and expectation that you also will receive God's blessings. And they seem reasonable. Like, having children seems like a reasonable blessing. But it hasn't been that way for some time. It's not the story that's being written for you right now. Or maybe you feel like you are a godly person who has not come from generations of godly families. And you're like, I'm doing my best by God's grace to live a godly life. And my relatives for generations past did not do that. All the more reason, God, that, that would you not just provide the blessings that I most deeply desire. And yet your story may not be written the way that you want it to be written today. Maybe you're a young person, a youth or a college student, and in this season of your life, what you want to be part of your story is you just want like-minded friends. Maybe you just want one like-minded friend. For some of you, you're saying, God, I just want one like-minded friend at my school or on my campus or this part of my major cohort in college that I can really share faith with and life with because we're, we're synced up together in our love for Jesus. But that's not the way it is right now. Maybe you're still looking even for that one person you can really connect with. Maybe you're a young adult and you're saying, Lord, I just, all I want is a fulfilling job that I love to go to with a really great boss that always gives me a raise, you know. And I want to be working on exciting projects and have exciting experiences and go do fun stuff with my friends all the time and this season in life. But the opposite of all those things is true for you. It's not the story you have right now. Or maybe you're a young married couple and you're saying, we just want some easy, joyful years as a young married couple and we just want lots of children and one or both of those things is just not where it's at in terms of the story that's being written right now for you. Maybe you're middle-aged and you're saying, Lord, all I want is for my kids, all of my kids to be thriving in every way. 
and I want them all to get along perfectly, and I want us to spend time together all the time, even though they're all around the country. Like, that's what I want, and it's not actually the story that's being written for you, or maybe you're in the final seasons of life, and you're like, Lord, I'm looking back on all these seasons, and I just, I, I want this last season to be the most impactful one, and you just feel like young people aren't around me, or I don't have time to invest in another generation, or, or they don't have time to, to spend time with me, rather. I've got all the time in the world, but what's this last season going to look like? And the story is not the one that you would have written for yourself. And the truth is that sometimes it seems like, if not all, enough of the hope is lost for our story. And then things will never change. But what the Christmas story reminds us of is we can never tell when God's going to break through. And we just never know when God's going to break in and he's going to begin to write a different story for us. And this was happening with Zechariah and Elizabeth. We see it unfold in verse 8 where it says, Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, that was two weeks of the year, he would go and serve as a priest in this capacity. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. This is a huge privilege. It's like the Super Bowl for a priest. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. This is what all of God's people would normally do in their normal yearly rhythms of life. You see, the things began to change for Zechariah and Elizabeth when they were doing the ordinary yearly rhythms of their life. They were involved in the ordinary rhythms of the life of God's people. And when they stayed faithful to God in the ordinary rhythms of their everyday life and the everyday life of the people of God, even when they may have wondered, would God be faithful to them in the story that they were hoping for? And it was in the midst of the everyday ordinary rhythms of life that God would do something extraordinary, that he would begin to move in their life in an extraordinary way in the midst of an ordinary moment for them. We pick it up in verse 11 where it says, And there appeared to him, that is Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. To our knowledge, this has never happened before inside that place to a priest like Zechariah. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell down upon him. And fear fell rather upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. In the midst of the everyday, ordinary rhythms of the life of God's people, and the ordinary rhythms of Zechariah's life, Zechariah finds an answer to his prayer. It says, your prayer has been answered. And Jesus would do something amazing to tell him that he was going to answer his prayer. I remember a morning like that for me, that um, God told me I was going to have a son. And I was sitting on a couch, and I know where I was, and I know the scripture I was reading, and I just had this sense. And it was some time until that happened, but I know that I know that I heard from God. When you have those moments where you know you hear from God, and you know something's going to change in the midst of your story... It's likely connected to the prayers you've been praying. Your prayer has been answered. And this is a unique phrase because here Zechariah is going into the most holy place. And he's making prayers for all of God's people. But there is this insinuation that your prayer has been answered. Not just his prayer when he goes into the most holy place, that God would deliver his people. But there's an assumption that some theologians make that as Zechariah is in there, that as he's close to the presence of God in his days he could possibly get, he's doing his duty as a priest, praying for the God's people, praying for the redemption of Israel, and he's throwing in a prayer 
for the pregnancy of his wife, for the hope he has that he will have a child, that Elizabeth will have a child. And isn't this the way that it is? When you go to your prayer time, I know you, and I know you're praying for, for God's people. You're praying for God's church. You're praying for the movement of Jesus around the world. And I know you're throwing some in. I am. For my family, for the things that are part of my story, as I even think about God's grander story, this is what Zechariah is doing. He's telling God what he wants. He's pouring out to God his deepest desires. Years later, it's been years Spurgeon says it this way, you, you may not always get what you want, but you always get what you pray for. You may not always get what you want, but you always get what you pray for. If we're not praying for the change that we desire in our story, it's never going to come. God works through the prayers of his people. I just want to encourage you this morning to pray over those things and continue to pray over those things. Even like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they prayed over those things for years. As we read more, we also see that Zechariah even received more from God than he was asking for. That his story would be actually end up being even more than he could ever have imagined in the first place. We pick it up in verse 14 or the second half of 14 where it says, And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared some amazing promise. God not only answered Zechariah's story and rewriting his story and Elizabeth's story in the way that they had maybe envisioned from the beginning by giving them a child, not only giving them a child, giving them a son who would carry on their family name and their family legacy. But he gave them even more than that. He gave them a son who would be used by God in the most incredible ways. Jesus would later say of John the Baptist that there was no one else, no one other, no, no one greater born among men than John the Baptist. Next to Jesus Christ, John the Baptist was the greatest human being that ever walked the face of the earth. Greater than Abraham, Moses. He said no one greater is what Jesus said. Their son would be an amazing man of God and God would use him in incredible ways they could have never they could have never thought that in the beginning. His name is John. John actually means God has shown favor. And in God's time, God showed favor to Zechariah and Elizabeth. God not only answered Zechariah's prayer and began to rewrite he and Elizabeth's story in that moment, giving them this child, but a child they could never imagine. And in those moments that God so obviously breaks in, and wants to write a new chapter and begins to sort of reveal to us that he wants to write a new chapter for us, for our story. He's so obviously showing us favor. He, he wants us to respond with faith in those moments. And this is not exactly what we see from Zechariah. If you know the story, it's picked up in verse 18 where it says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That means she's beyond the point where she can bear children, like physically, biologically. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. 
and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. In this moment, we, ha- we, we look at Zechariah, and, and we, really, we really have to just honestly say he should have known better. He, he kind of he should have known better. And sometimes we look at ourselves, you know, as friends or as family or as colleagues even. We're like, hey, man, we should know, we should know better than that. I mean, Zechariah, like, he knew the word of God. He knew God had done similar things. He knew God had given a son to Abraham, like Isaac. He knew that, that, that God had, had given a son, the son Samuel. God, God, he, he knew God's faithfulness in the past. He knew God's word. He should have known better. And he was a seasoned, godly man. It's not like he was a newbie to the faith. But these were new stories that he kind of understood. He was just gleaning principles. No, no, no. He knew them in depth. And, and he was a man who prayed often. And he'd been praying for these things over years. And can we just see a little bit of reality in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story here? That sometimes, like, we're just, we're just people. Zechariah is just a person. He's not just like a larger-than-life character. He's just a guy. He's just a priest. He's a normal guy. He's a country priest is what he is. He's a blue-collar guy. It's having a hard time believing because it's been so long in this one chapter of the story. And even though he knows God's word and he's praying and he's walking with God's people, like he still has some unbelief. And I remember a story in the New Testament where there's a father that tells Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. As an aside right now, I just want to ask you, if you're lacking faith for some of this stuff in your own life, and you're, you're, lack, you're lacking the faith to believe that, that your story is going to change or be different, or some of these deep hopes that are welled up within you, you believe are, are godly hopes and dreams are, are, are ever going to come to fruition, can I ask you just, just pause for a moment right now and just ask God for greater faith? I mean, that's what the Father did. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what he said to Jesus. Maybe you would even say that this morning, just in this moment, you'd say that under your breath, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. And the good news for Christians is that even when we lack some kind of faith like this, God is so good. And God will even use the discipline that he would allow because of some kind of lack of faith to teach us, to train us, to grow us actually in our faith. And the discipline that Zechariah had was silence. It says that he was mute, he was deaf, or dumb. He, he could not speak or, or, or hear. And so he was undergoing the discipline of silence. Some of you have gone through our apprentice academy or other leadership stuff that we do here at the Village Church and you've engaged the discipline of silence. And Zechariah had the discipline of silence for nine months. I know you tried it for nine minutes, you know, and then you wrote a paper to me, but, but, but he's doing it for nine months, not hearing, not being able to speak about these things. He's in silence. He's with God for nine months and God is training him. God is teaching him through that discipline. God is growing his faith. And as Christians, we can have hope even when God disciplines us in some way for a lack of faith because it will do what he intends it to do. And we know that it won't last forever. The angel had already told Zechariah that it wasn't going to last forever. He said, until John was born. And I just want to encourage you this morning that God disciplines us for our good, as Hebrew says. And it's not going to last forever. It will accomplish its purpose You know, sometimes after incredible moments like this that we have with God, we, we sense that we know he's going to change the trajectory of our story somehow. We expect things to just change right away. God's going to change right now. Like today, tomorrow, like this is going to change. But it doesn't always work out that way. Things just kind of go back to the normal every day. And that's kind of what happened with 
Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verse 23, it says, And when the time of service had ended, he went home. He went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I don't know if she waited that long because she was like, is this baby really going to take? Am I really going to carry this baby to term? Or I just need time to be away, to, to be alone. Whatever the case may be, it took months. I just want to remind us this morning that God, and I think the story reminds us, that God works more through ordinary moments than extraordinary moments. And so we should make the most of the ordinary moments to trust Jesus in the midst of them. And Jesus just used those everyday, ordinary moments. Zechariah and Elizabeth go home and just go about their normal things. And God is moving in the background. As they're moving through the normal rhythms of life, God is moving in the background to do some really incredible things in their life. And eventually that new chapter of God is writing with them comes to fruition. And, and we see it actually in the end of chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles open, we're going to hop all the way over to Luke 1, where we see actually the birth of John. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she was born a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. <laughs> it's an incredible moment. It's like an elderly woman having a baby who's going to be the second most important human being to ever walk the face of the earth. They don't all know that yet, all the people around. They just know Elizabeth has a child. Think, think of this baby shower, how amazing that would have been. <laughs> so unexpected. And all of the friends and all of the people in that place are rejoicing with her. Aren't these the moments that we are looking for? Aren't these the moments we're looking forward to? These are the moments that we're hoping for, that we see God's moving in our life and we see God's people around our lives rejoicing with us and celebrating with us. This was a picture of this this morning on the child dedications. God is providing children for people and they're saying, we're gonna raise these children to follow Jesus, to be faithful to him because he's been faithful to give these children to us. Us, both naturally born children, adopted children. God's given these children to us. Praise God. He's so gracious. These are the moments we're looking for. These are the moments where you, you can't wait to get to community group that week to tell everyone, this is what God's been doing in our life and to share with the people around you. This is the moment you're showing up to your men's accountability in 2024. You men, we talked about this at our, our partner, men's partner briefing. You're going to show up to that coffee place or wherever you're meeting your guy and you're going to be, hey, guess what happened last week at the end? I haven't had time to tell you. This is what God is doing. These are the moments we're looking for, we're longing for, we're hoping for. And these moments always come in his good time. And when they do, we should do exactly what God has told us to do in those moments. We should do exactly what God has told us to do. As God begins to give you inklings of the way your story might shift or change, he gives you little inklings through his word about how that's going to go, how through prayer, through the encouragement of God's people. And you know in your heart and your mind, you, you know some of the things you should be doing. You know what obedience looks like. We see it in their story in verse 59 where it says, And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they could have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother said, No, he will be called John. And they said, Were well, none of your relatives is called by this name? And they made signs to the father inquiring what they want him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. When God is writing a new story in your life, it is going to begin and it is going to continue through obedience. 
they, they told, the angel told John, Zechariah, his name will be John, and they continue to, there's no reason. I, I can't underscore, like, you're probably thinking, this is no big deal. We name our kids whatever we want to. Yeah, but in, this, in that day, they did not do that. Like, a firstborn son would always have the name of his father. This was the oddest thing that could possibly happen. This incredible thing had happened to this family, and you're not even naming him Zechariah? What is wrong with you? They're saying, no, no, his name is John. Because we don't, we don't, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what tradition is. It doesn't matter what common thinking is. It matters what God has told us to do. And when God breaks through in your life, it doesn't matter what he's doing in other people's lives. It matters what he's doing in your life and what he's told you to do, you are to do. Zechariah learned to walk by faith and obedience during those nine months. And when he begins to speak again, he just walks in obedience and he trusts God for the outcome. This was a scandalous story. I don't even have time to go into how scandalous the story could have been. Zechariah and Elizabeth did not care. They cared about God's story and the story that he was writing in theirs. And this is true for us. When we think about the hope for our stories, we're to walk in faith and obedience and to trust God for the outcome in his time. And when we do, there's something beautiful that happens. It strengthens the faith of the people around us. Look at verse 64. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came upon all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard of them laid up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. When you see the movement of God in someone else's life, some new chapter open up in their story, can I just tell you this? It's not meant to discourage you. When you see something incredible happen in someone else's life, when you see a new, fresh chapter open up in their life, God is not intending it to discourage you in any way. The enemy is. God's not. It's intended to encourage you. It's intended you to show you that God can do anything for anyone in any season. That God can move even in the life of an elderly couple to give them a child. It's miraculous. It's impossible without God. It's meant to show you that God can do the impossible in anyone's life including the lives of the people around you, and it's meant to remind you that he can, well, he can do that in your life too. As God's people, we're, we're just people. And so we do have hopes for our story, and we see through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that actually God cares about that. God cares about their story. God cares about our story. God cares about your story and what's happening in your life today. God cares about that. But as God's people, our greatest hope is not in our story, is it? No, our greatest hope is in God's story. Our hope is in God's story. And that's what we find in this next section of this story. That God intends the things he is writing in our stories to point us to his greater story. That's the point. And he wants us to see the connections between the things that are happening in our story and the new chapters he's writing in our story with his bigger and his greater, grander story. Again, if you've been through Apprentice or any kind of training thing here at the Village Church, you've heard of the, our spiritual DNA exercise. We look at how God has shaped us and formed us and all the things in our lives that he's doing in our lives are connected to what he's doing in his story of redemptive history. We do a life map exercise. We just finished it a few weeks back with the current apprentice class. And we see all the ways that God's used the people and the places and the circumstances in our lives to accomplish his purposes and how we're included in that. Like our greatest hope is not in our story, although we are hopeful for our stories. Our greatest hope is in God's story. 
And sometimes this connection takes a little bit of time and it takes a little bit of discernment. You're trying to decide, God, what are you trying to tell me with this? It's been this way a long time. How is that connected to your greater story? And other times, it's just obvious. We see it for what it is. It's very simple, and that's the case with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Considering all that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been through, you would think that as John, Zechariah begins to praise God for John after his birth, that he'd be praising God mostly or solely for the birth of his son, just simply for the fact that God had given him a son. That is reason for praise enough, amen? It's reason for praise enough. As God gifts us children, that's reason enough for praise. And you would think that his prayer, his praise of prayer, would be mostly, if not even only, about his son. Especially because he'd been waiting so long to have a child. Decades, really. And if you've been through that journey of infertility, I just have to say, if you know, you know. That infertility journey is one of those things where it's just, if you know, you know. And if you don't, you try to know. But if you know, you know. You know what it means to struggle to have children. You know what it means to lose children. You know what it means to wait years to have children. As part of our story, if you know, you know. But it doesn't have to be an infertility story. It just has to be a story where you are hoping and dreaming for things. You have a story you want for your life, and it's not there yet. And there's a lot of pain involved. It can be any hope you have. And in those moments, when, when those things come to fruition, and when your greatest hopes, so to speak, are fulfilled in this life, at least, in your story, at least, it would make sense that you just focus all of your praise on that thing. But this is not what Zechariah does. Zechariah praises God mostly for what he has done and is doing in his greater story. And he starts it with praising God for the hope of the covenant that God made with David. It starts in verse 67 where it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, well, let me just pause and say, the kind of perspective that Zechariah is about to praise God for is only possible if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's only possible if you're in tune with the Spirit. It's only possible if you're walking with Jesus by his Spirit. It's only possible if you're listening to the Spirit of God and not to all kinds of other voices. To say what he said is only possible if you're filled with the Spirit. He said, blessed be the God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God's story is the story of saving his people. Individually, yes, but collectively, he's saving a people. And if you're here this morning and you have faith and hope and trust in Jesus, you're part of the church, the capital C church. You are part of the called out ones of God. You're part of the people of God that he is saving for himself. Praise God. And he's also saving you out of things. But he's also saving us not just naturally, but he's saving us spiritually. He redeemed his people. This is talking about the exodus out of Egypt and it makes God's people think about the other nations that they were enslaved to and by. Saved from our enemies. As you look at God's story and, and you look at the story that he's writing in the Old Testament, God's saving his people, redeeming them from things, especially out of Egypt, to save them out of there, to, 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 to be a picture for all of his people about the way that he would save them for worse enemies than the Egyptians. 
if you're not yet a Christian this morning and, and you're wondering about the Christmas story and you're wondering a bit about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and why we're so excited about him, what the Bible teaches is that our greatest enemies are Satan and sin and death. That we have a spiritual enemy that's against us. That we have um, a spiritual sickness and condition called sin that's within us. We're sin in what we think and what we, what we do and how we act, how we think. All of these ways and, and ultimately our greatest enemy is death. That one day we will all die. And we will not just die and not be part of this earthly family anymore. But outside of Jesus we'll all die and we'll be separated from God for eternity because of our sin. The Bible says that the greatest enemies we have are not the enemies that are outside. All those circumstances and things that you think are against you. What the Bible teaches is that our greatest enemy is actually on the inside. It's our sin that breaks our relationship with God and breaks our relationship with people. And what the Bible teaches is that God came into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. And it started on Christmas with Jesus leaving heaven and being born in a manger as a baby. That Jesus was the God-man, fully God, fully man. That he lived a life without sin on our behalf because we're sinful people. That he died a death on the cross and in our place and for our sins. We celebrate that on Good Friday. And then he raised from death to give us new life, to forgive us of our sins when we place our faith and our hope and trust in him. And you might recall we celebrate that on Easter. Zechariah takes his praise even further back in the story of God. He goes to the story of Abraham and he praises God for the hope of the covenant that God made with Abraham to show the mercy he promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Might serve him without fear. You see, what God does for his people is that he saves them out of their sin so that they're no longer slaves to their sin, but they're servants of God. They're, they're no longer slaves to their sin, but they're servants of God. God delivered his people out of Egypt so that they would no longer be enslaved to the Egyptians, but they would be free to serve him in the land that he was inviting them to. And God calls us out of our slavery to sin, and he saves us through our hope and our, our faith and our trust in Jesus. And he delivers us from our sin, and he saves us into a life where we can now serve Jesus and be part of his greater, grander story. The story God is writing is that he was the one that would not only save his people from their greatest enemies, again, Satan and sin and death, but he would also invite them into his story as his servants. And that they could serve an important role, that they can play an important part in his greater, grander story. And this is where our story ends this morning. That our hope for our story is to be part of God's bigger story. This is our third and I think one of our greatest hopes. That our story the story that God's writing in our life would be part somehow by God's grace of his greater story. I think we all have a longing for our lives to be part of something that's greater, bigger than ourselves. The world does this through charity and through philanthropy and through acts of kindness, which are all things that Christians should be involved in. Matter of fact, Christians spearhead many, if not most of those things in the world and always have, by God's grace, always will. But we all want our lives to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And it's bigger than this, the charity or the philanthropy or the acts of kindness. It's about what God has done to be kind to us in and through Jesus and our part in proclaiming that to the world. And so the last thing that Zechariah praises God for in his song is that his family is part of the greater story of God by faith. 
In verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows what we now know as God's people that are filled with God's Spirit. That our story is not the most important story. That our story is not the most important story. But God wants to use our story in the midst of his great and grander story. He wants to include us in the things that he's doing. And I got to tell you, as just a person, not as a pastor, that is one of my greatest hopes. That God would use my life in the midst of his greater, grander story. That God would use the life of my family in the midst of his greater, grander story. That God would use the life of this church family in the midst of his greater, grander story. I don't know if you're like me. You look at the Christmas story and you're like, yeah, but those are like greater than life, larger than life characters. I mean, the Christmas story's got Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and these wise men. And it's like, there's all these greater, you know, bigger than life characters. And I just want to say, no, they're not. No, they're not. No, next week we're going to get to Mary and Joseph and they're just normal, like, blue-collar Jewish people that live in a very small, unimportant place. Zechariah and Elizabeth are just like literally country priests. He's like a country pastor somewhere out in the country where there's not a lot of people. He doesn't have a smoke machine on his stage at church. You know, like he's not, he's not that guy. His pulpit does not come up out of the stage when he like rises to preach. It's not who he is. These are normal, everyday, ordinary people. And God's included them in an unbelievable way in his story. And the same is true for you. Do you believe that? You believe that? The same is true for you. We're in a totally different part of the story, but we're in part of the story. Praise God. We're in a totally different part of the story, but we're in. You and I are in the story. We're in God's story. You might say, well, how does he want to involve me in the greater story? I think actually these verses tell us five ways. I'm going to read through them quickly. We don't have a lot of time. First, telling people that they need to be saved from their sin. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. We need to tell people that they need to be saved from their sin. This is a way that we can be involved in God's greater story. Secondly, we need to tell people that they can be forgiven from their sin. In the forgiveness of their sins. We can tell people that God wants to forgive the sins of people. God wants to forgive their sins. He's not like just going like over them like can't wait to crush you. God, God wants to forgive your sins. And if you're not yet a Christian, I want to tell you, God wants to forgive your sins. Because the third thing I'm, we're supposed to tell people is that, that God is merciful because of the tender mercy of our God. God is a merciful God. God wants to show people mercy. He wants to forgive their sin. He wants to invite them in relationship with himself. He wants to invite them into his great grander story. He wants to give their life greater purpose than they could ever imagine. That's what God wants because he's merciful. And God can use us by telling people that Jesus is the light of the world. He says, why by the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He's literally talking about Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And you know what Jesus? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we can be part of his story by telling people that they can have peace with God. To guide our feet into the way of peace. 
We have peace with God, the Bible says now, through Jesus Christ. And for the church, this is the good news this Christmas season, that the story of God is the story of salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Your story is significant. God cares about it. And I'm praying for you that God would move and, and turn a new chapter in your story somehow. Maybe during Advent season, and we'd even reveal that to you, maybe even this week, and he'd give you hope. I'm praying that you would focus mostly on his greater, grander story, that during this Advent season, we would all be focused on his story. It's not all about us. God cares about us, but it's all about him, and that we would focus on his greater, grander story. And we would have so much hope and so much joy knowing that he's invited us into his greater, grander story. And he's going to use us in incredible ways in the midst of that. And I hope you believe that. I'm praying that we all do. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you care about our story. I thank you that you care about mine. And you care about the story of my family. And you care about the story of this family, this church family. You care about the story of every person that's seated here this morning. I believe that. And we also thank you that our hope goes beyond the hope that our story will change. That, that it, our hope is in your story and that you've saved us from our greatest enemies. You've forgiven us. You've freed us to live a life with you that you always intended from the beginning. And we thank you that you've invited us into your greater, grander story. That our lives are so much bigger than just, just our little life. That our lives are part of your greater, grander story. And we thank you how much joy and fulfillment that brings. We couldn't be more grateful. We thank you. We love you. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.